You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Episode 76. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. And from my home, like most of you at this time, as we're weathering the coronavirus storm, I'm doing this episode from my home office, and it is late. All the kids, my dear wife, they're all pretty much in bed, and it's just about midnight when I'm recording this intro. Now, I recorded this episode with Jeffrey a few weeks back, and uh, he's been so patient um, with me trying to get it out. But Jeffrey Lowe is an immigration lawyer in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and this is the second time he's come to join me. I think it's the second time. I've had some of his other um, associates come and join me as well. But this is the first time we've really dived deep into the practicalities of business immigration. And it's not a topic that we talk a lot about, largely because investor programs were always the uh, the cornerstone of these business immigration routes. And in 2011, when the government basically shut down the investor program and the entrepreneur program, at least at a federal level, we just stopped talking about it. Now, in fairness, there is the startup visa program and there are some other you know, PNP-related programs, but we really didn't talk much about it until today. So I'm super happy to have Jeffrey come on here. You'll see that this episode is quite long, but Jeffrey had a ton that he wanted to share. So in this episode, we're going to have a little bit of an introduction on business immigration, and then Jeffrey's going to share some of his most popular routes right now for people who are looking to immigrate to Canada through um, through basically the entrepreneur programs or other business programs that are out there. So if this is an area you're interested in, Jeffrey does a fantastic job covering it from a very practical standpoint. He hits the high points of uh, two of his favorite P&P programs for business purposes. And he also takes the time to talk a little bit about his Canadian business experience strategy, which is kind of a a term that he's coined. All right, without much uh, ado here, let's jump right in to this episode with my good friend, Jeffrey Lowe. Well, I'm happy to be back once again after almost four years since the last episode I did with uh, my good friend Jeffrey Lowe here, who is the Chief Inspirational Officer with Lowe & Company in Vancouver, British Columbia. Welcome back, Jeffrey. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Mark, for the opportunity to share with the audience today. Yeah, back in... Oh, go ahead, Jeffrey, yeah. Yeah, I remember last time we did a podcast was in 2016 on owner-operator work permits, which was a lot of fun. But little did we know in 2020, we'd be in the middle of a coronavirus lockdown, but we can still do podcasts to share with people. So, Mark, you've always been a visionary and far ahead of your time. 
<laughs> That's awesome. You know, I uh, I feel the exact same way about you. I might be a little visionary in terms of getting this podcast started when I did, and I was kind of the only game in town. There's a few others that have popped up now, but uh, I've always always valued your your. Um, your creativity, your entrepreneurialism. And uh, when I've looked at kind of the things that you've pursued and the, the way you've changed and adapted uh, to your practice and how it's grown and evolved, I've always, always been inspired. So your title as Chief Inspirational Officer has been, uh, is well, uh, well placed and very fitting as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, thanks very much. So we'll make sure that we we definitely, uh, you guys will want to go back and take a look at episode 19 on June 14th, 2016. Uh, like Jeffrey said, the owner-operator LMIA program um, to get a little bit more background information on Jeffrey. But he has been practicing since 1983 and he is one of the uh, most senior and, and well-respected uh, immigration lawyers here in Canada. And so it's a, it's a pleasure for me to have you back, Jeffrey. And I'm really excited to talk about the, uh, the topic, which is something near and dear to your heart. And it's something that I don't have a lot of experience with. So I love bringing on people who have expertise to share. And uh, I know that the listeners will really appreciate this episode. And so as we, you and I kind of collaborated and talked about things, this really is emphasizing business immigration in Canada, but not so much the business immigration that a lot of us think about. The you know, although there is elements of work permits and things like that, this is really kind of the the entrepreneur stuff. The you know, well, obviously we have a lack of investor stuff uh, these days, but we're going to delve into an area that not a lot of people are talking about, and uh, it may just be something that people better turn their minds to going into the future. So, um, uh, Jeffrey, why don't you just jump in and? Kind of give us a little bit of an introduction to our topic today. Sure. Glad to do so. Now, Canada needs business immigrants. Needed business immigrants to establish new businesses, buy existing ones from Canadians who are retiring and create jobs and innovation and so on. Yet, since 2014, we've been without any real federal business immigration program. So what I'm going to share with you today are two general ways for both foreign business people to come to Canada to purchase and operate businesses and then immigrate with your family. I'll share with you some examples and case studies so you can see how they all work together. But first, let me give you a bit of background. Because when business people come to me uh, asking about business immigration to Canada, I found they've often got different ideas and concepts about quote-unquote business immigration. Some people assume that, hey, if they can just buy a fund and immigrate as a permanent resident and not have to do any managing of a business. Others want to buy a business like a coffee shop or a franchise like McDonald's, hire a manager to the business and hope they can immigrate. And still others said, well, Jeffrey, I've been told that I can buy a business in some small town in Canada, and, and but I don't have to go there and I can still immigrate. Well, a lot of this is, there's some truth in all of these, but a lot of it is uh, uh, fake news. Yeah, so myths, speak. right? These myths that they're trying to uh, push forward. Yes. See, part of the confusion is that from 1986 to 2014, Canada did have two different federal business immigration programs. One was called the Investor Immigrant Program, where you could make a passive investment 
into an immigrant investor fund and immigrate without having to do anything. And this program was really popular so that by the time it was canceled in 2014, there were about 20,000 cases or a nine-year backlog in the system. The other federal business immigration program is called the Entrepreneur Program, in which required business immigrants to invest into a business, then to actively manage that business. And the investment money required was generally less than that of the investor immigrant program. But besides the backlogs, a nine-year backlog by 2014, uh, there was a number of other issues in this program. So about that time, the Canadian government stopped taking new applications. It eventually canceled them. And Mark, you'll remember, we thought they were going to revise and reintroduce them, but mm-hmm. it was never done. It was dead. So Jeffrey, why don't you just tell our listeners, like, why? why? You know, you've got this money funneling into the country. And I know I also had a past episode with um, Carter Hoppy, kind of on, you know, more investor type topics. But why did the government feel like they just wanted to cancel them? Well, I think there was a lot of fraud going on in the program. And when they did a real analysis, they found out there wasn't a lot of economic benefit from the investors' uh, investment into the program. So there was a time to rethink and revision the program. Uh, And Mark, you and I uh, may have been on some some committees with the Canadian Bar Association. I remember a few years ago, I put together a proposal to the government say that the monies could go into social housing or mm-hmm. to venture capital or something. Yeah, more targeted. Uh, then there was a number of changes in government, so nothing ever happened. So uh, in the end, uh, there's there we, we never did get a new business immigrant program back. So then the question for our, for listeners is how can a business person immigrate to Canada now? And as we discussed, there's two main routes which we'll discuss today. One are provincial entrepreneur immigrant programs, and second is a route that we'll call the Canadian Business Experience Strategy. There's also two other federal programs: the Self-Employed Immigrant Program, which is self for self-employed people in cultural and athletic businesses and a startup visa program, which is sponsored, which requires sponsorship by a Canadian venture capital group or angel investor group or business incubator. There's one other investor immigrant program left, sort of, and that's the Quebec immigrant investor program, which currently requires an investment of $1.2 million interest-free for five years. But most immigrants opt to pay a one-time down payment of $350,000, finance the balance, so they don't need to tie, tie up $1.2 million for five years. However, the $350,000 is a real cost, and you don't get anything back for that. I spoke to a senior Quebec uh, investment dealer this week who said the Immigrant Investor Program for Quebec is currently suspended till July, and they're not sure if it's ever going to come back. Hmm, interesting. Well, with the current climate in Quebec, especially with <clears throat> the, the leadership there at a provincial level, they're, 
definitely, um, I wouldn't say anti-immigrant, but but they're definitely not friends of of the immigration programs. And so mm. many of our colleagues have expressed a lot of uh, frustration and and angst with some of the policy decisions that they have made over the recent, you know, the recent um, half year to a year here. So it'll be interesting to see if it does come back. Yeah, very interesting. However, what this does leave for for us, though, are the two general paths for business immigrants, which are both viable for different kinds of people. So let's talk about these two. The first are entrepreneur provincial nominee programs. Now, Mark, as you know, immigration is uh, usually a federal government responsibility. That is, we deal with immigration refugees from Citizens of Canada or IRCC. Service Canada, which processes labor market impact assessments, Canada Border Services Agency, which deals with people at the Canadian border. But since Canada's got 10 provinces and three territories, each with their own governments, Canada's got a number of federal provincial agreements which provinces can design their own criteria to reflect their own economic priorities then select immigrants on the basis of those criteria. So these programs are called provincial nominee programs in virtually every uh, every province in Canada has got a PNP program of some sort. PNP programs are generally focused on skilled workers. A province might need healthcare workers or skilled trade workers or truck drivers or food processing plants. So those PNP programs for those provinces would allow people with those skills to be nominated for immigration. But besides skilled workers, seven provinces plus the Yukon and Northwest Territories have got entrepreneur PNP programs designed to attract and nominate business immigrants to those provinces. And each province's entrepreneur program sets out specific criteria. Things like minimum personal net worth, the minimum investment required, the business experience required, English or French language, how many jobs need to be created, whether you can buy a new business or buy a business or start a new business, and a number of other criteria. But so those in each uh, each province has got its own criteria for this. And I guess I'll add in to Jeffrey, I was going to kind of hold off, but the province of Alberta is not one of those seven provinces, and this is my province here. Um, but, too bad, too bad, Mark. I know, but uh, they are exploring uh, the use of entrepreneur programs to help with, like you identified, the needs of the particular province. And some of those needs, at least in Alberta, is is rural communities. And so they're looking at some uh, creative entrepreneur programs that would uh, entice people to go to these communities and, as you will get into in a whole lot more detail, uh, consider purchasing those, those you know, small town businesses, especially as the owners uh, tend to 
you know, they're, they're getting closer to retirement age and their kids may or may not be interested in sticking around and operating those businesses. So we'll be, uh, we'll definitely have to hold that off and see how things materialize. Obviously this whole world of Corona, uh, the uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus has, has delayed a lot of the, um, the rollout of some of these programs. And so they are still looking at the end of the year. And so we'll see how, uh, we'll see how that unfolds, but yeah, hopefully Alberta won't be, um, left on the sidelines for too much longer. Well, that would be awesome, you know, because uh, I'll tell you quite frankly, when I uh, when I look at the landscape of Canada, a lot of people, some people come to me and they say, well, uh, Mr. Lowe, I'd like to immigrate to Canada. I don't really know the difference between the different provinces. So just buy me the places which is the easiest to qualify for and with least investment. So one of the things people don't realize is that 86% of the population of Canada live in four provinces, Ontario, Quebec, British Columbia, and Alberta. And so if you're doing business, or you're coming to Canada to do business, you'll want to go to a province where there are uh, there's a significant market to be able to do your business. Now, provinces like Saskatchewan and Manitoba on the prairies, they're great for certain kinds of businesses like agriculture and some of the oil and gas industries and so on. But you really want to be able to look at individual provinces and say, oh, I want to start a restaurant or retail store or small manufacturing firm. Where should I go? So those are the those are things to consider in choosing which uh, uh, provincial uh, PNP program to go for. Now, the seven provinces that do have entrepreneur PNP programs: British Columbia, for, uh, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. Uh, let's see, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. Newfoundland and the two territories, New Yukon Territories and Northwest Territories, their entrepreneur PNP processing generally follows the same uh, same procedures. And that's about a 10-step process. <clears throat> Firstly, you need to do background research and preparation and decide what kind of business you want to do, where you want to settle, and so on. Then, you prepare a business concept, like a business proposal, and say, yep, I'd like to go to uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, and start a butcher business. Or I'd like to go to Saskatchewan and start a wheat processing business. Something like that. You need to have some sort of concept. Thirdly, your proposal, your business concept, along together with your background, would then be assessed, and then you go into a pool of candidates. So there might be 300 people in the in the candidate of people waiting to apply for the BCPNP. And periodically, sometimes it's once a month, sometimes it's every three months, depending on the province, the province will select the highest-ranking candidates and give them to an invitation to apply. When they give them, when they give you an invitation to apply, 
then you need to do a business plan. You need to get an accountant to verify your net worth, prepare a supporting documentation, and so on. You would then go for an interview with the PNP program. And assuming you passed the interview, you would then get a two-year work permit. Uh, you come to Canada, come to the province uh, where you're scheduled to go to. You establish your business in accordance with your plan for about two years, after which you would get a PNP nomination. And after you get your PNP nomination, it goes back to the federal side, Canada Immigration, to process your to process your case. Now, you may say, gee, this sounds like a long, complicated process. And it, there's a number of different steps, but uh, what's important to know is it can take about six to nine months to get the initial PNP approval and get your work permit. Then you come to Canada to, in the province for about two years to operate your business and get your PNP nomination. After you get your PNP nomination, you go back to the Canada immigration to process your permanent residence. Uh, so all in all, while you can get your work permit and move your family in six to nine months, uh, to get your permanent residence takes about four years. Now, Jeffrey, with that process, obviously the provinces are, are dealing with a decision maker in IRCC and the foreign visa offices are often the ones that are issuing these work permits to these entrepreneurs as they're coming to operate the business. What has been the willingness, uh, or I should say the resistance of visa offices to, to issue these work permits? Have there been situations when people have gone through the process and then the visa office says, no, we're not going to issue the work permit? Um, generally, not so, uh, uh, generally not so much on the uh, provincial nominee program. And uh, where there where a person has been approved by a province to come to Canada to establish a business as a provincial nominee, the issues at the work permit stage from the uh, from the overseas immigration office are likely going to be criminal or medical issues. Mm-hmm. But other than that, if the province is Say, yep, we like this business, we like this person, we want to nominate them, bring them to Canada for a province to start a business. Um, generally not an issue. Gotcha. Immigration says, yeah, we'll, we'll play ball with you to this stage. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unless there's criminal or medical issues. Gotcha. Okay. So that is the, those are the provincial nominee programs. That's a helicopter ride over them. We're going to come back with another bit and we'll drill down to the two provincial nominee programs, which I think are uh, the best for a lot of immigrants. The second route is what I call the Canadian business experience strategy. And I guess we should remind our listeners that if they Google that, they probably aren't going to find it (laughs) because... This is something that you've coined, I believe, isn't it, Jeffrey? Yes, that's right. It's a strategy that we've been using for years, but uh, but it was only recently that I thought we should call it something uh, because it is like an overall strategy. It's not one specific program of the government, but it's 
what it is, it's a putting together of a number of different pieces in order to help claim, uh, business clients immigrate. And I'll also point out to those uh, junior lawyers that are listening to this podcast and wondering, wow, I'm never going to probably get involved with investment and entrepreneurs and things like that. This here is the program that, that Jeffrey's going to talk about that you really need to pay attention to. Because uh, for all intents and purposes, I think the vast majority of people that are looking at um, finding ways to acquire businesses, to operate them, to transition to permanent residence, I think this is as much the future as, as the, uh, the PNP programs. Yeah, I think it be it can be faster. It can be a number of reasons why it's better. So it's a what it is CBEF, I guess, is a four step process. Number one, you need to buy or invest in a business and do your background research through different businesses, but you need to make a decision to buy or invest a business. Number two. You apply for a work permit and use a number of different ways to apply for a work permit. The owner-operator labor market impact assessment, or owner-operator LMIA, we call it, uh, is what I taught about in 2016. Yeah, that's and episode that's still, 19 for our, for our listeners. That's episode 19. Go and check that one out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's still a very good strategy uh, for because it works for people from whatever country they're from. And we've done it for clients from Kuwait. We've done it for clients from China, from Malaysia, and so on. What kind of, what kind of bi- I'm curious, better. Jeffrey. What what kind of businesses have you done it for? I'll, you know, I've got a few kind of unique ones, but but what kind of businesses have you used the owner operator for? Let's see. I've done it for a pharmacy. Um, I've done it, it. That was interesting because. To operate a pharmacy, you need to have somebody with a pharmacy license. Mm-hmm. So we hired a lo- had to hire a local person with a pharmacy mm-hmm. license. But in that case, my client owned a chain of pharmacies in Egypt, so yep. it was it was a natural for him to do that? Absolutely. So I've done it for pharmacies. I've done it for Italian bakeries, mm-hmm. um, and I've done it for uh, mechanic shops. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And let's see. I also did it under a previous, with some previous owner-operator policy. We also did it for a smaller investment into yep. a larger yes. company. It's like a $40 million company, but my client invested $1 million to do a division, a new division uh, of that uh, of that larger company. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they wouldn't change the rules on us, eh? <laughs> then, yeah, then they, they required they, a, at least a minimum, yeah. you know, majority ownership stake. I know from from yeah. my uh, my perspective, I also had an automotive dealership that wanted to expand on the sales side and and split their service and sales apart. So the one investor, I think from Turkey, invested money in the in the sales division, and they <clears throat> they expanded that. And then I also did one for a family-owned business where um, it was a violin, a high-end violin repair shop that was kind of like an icon in one of the cities here in Alberta. And uh, so an individual came in and as um, owner-operator and uh, his father was retiring and took over the business. And then I had another family-based one that was uh, uh, was in one of the resort towns here in Alberta. It was uh, a motel, hotel operation uh, that... Um, 
yeah, that they, they bought into and it was a family based kind of thing. And we, uh, it was faster to go through that route and get them in, than go through the long disposal sponsorship. So we, <laughs> so we did an LMIA first and, uh, the owner operator and that was quite interesting. Yeah. Those are some of the more recent ones that we've done. So it works yeah, for anything. Those are, yeah, those are all great examples. <clears throat> the, uh, uh, those are all great examples because you can do it for people from any, uh, any, uh, nationality. There's no minimum investment amount, although it needs to make sense. Yeah. Uh, if somebody, if somebody said, well, I want to start a restaurant for $20,000, probably pretty uh. difficult to <laughs> justify that. Yeah. But okay. So, but, um, Owner-operator LMIA, that's one of the work permit options. Second one we do a lot is the investor category under the North American Free Trade Agreement. If you're an American or Mexican citizen and you say, I want to come to Canada to establish a business, we can get you a business, uh, we can get you a work permit as a NAFTA investor. And this is particularly uh helpful because all you need to do is be a Mexican citizen, Mexican or American citizen. There's no minimum investment, although there is a bright line in the immigration manual of about Mm -hmm. $50,000. And uh, and you need to own at least 51% or Americans need to own at least 51% of the business and so on. So that's quite helpful for a lot of uh, Americans and Mexicans. But also with CETA or the Comprehensive Economic Trade Agreement, which Canada has with the European Union, there's also a CETA investor provision, which allows members of the European Union to, or citizens of members of the European Union to also come to Canada with a NAFTA investor type permit. And finally, there's the CPTPP, which is the, uh, I still think of the the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but that includes companies, countries like Brunei, Singapore, Malaysia, Japan, Mm -hmm. uh, and many others. If you're a citizen of those countries, you can come to Canada to to uh, get a work permit to make an investment in Canada. So, all this is to say that under step two, apply for a work permit, there's a number of different routes that a lot of people will have depending on their nationality and so on. Number three, they then come to Canada and work in their business. They establish a business and work in their business, whatever that business happens to be. It could be a small restaurant, it could be a trading company, it could be a consulting company. The largest one I did was actually a golf course and real estate development, about $300 million. So it's very flexible to be able to use work permits for all sorts of different things. And then fourthly, you apply to immigrate to Canada as a skilled worker under express entry. Uh, and <clears throat> But in order to do that, you need to have the right background, you need to have education, fluency in English, and so on. 
what the work permit does is this likely will push many people over the top if their points are lacking, lacking under express entry. Yeah, and one of the issues I know, Jeffrey, that uh, we've been dancing around a little bit lately with having people come in uh, who own their own business is is IRCC trying to deem them as self-employed and disqualify their Canadian work experience. And so there's a little bit of a dance sometimes that we have to go through to make sure that they are clearly employees of their business for the purposes of uh, of the assessment um, with express entry and the eligibility for Canadian experience class. And so that's, I'm curious to see how, <laughs> what your experience has been with that and, and how you've, uh, how you've kind of tried to navigate that landmine. Because um, I, I see that a lot when we're trying to use express entry for, for owner operator LMIAs. Uh, sometimes they try to twist it and say, well, you're self-employed, so we're not going to allow it. And we've seen that even for, for example, doctors in Alberta. I've seen them come back at some circumstances and say, well, you're actually an independent contractor, you're self-employed, so we're going to disallow your work experience, which is absurd as it is that, you know, we have seen those decisions in the past. Mm-hmm. That's it. That can be an issue sometimes. And that's why for each, in each case, see, it doesn't really matter if somebody's coming with an owner-operator LMIA or an aft investor or free trade investor or so on. Um, and each case is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, each case is different. Uh, one uh, one example of uh, a way to deal with this is if you don't come uh, come with a work permit under one of these categories, but if you came as an intercompany transferee transfer. sent mm-hmm. by your company yeah. overseas, yeah. so that so there's a possibility to deal with do that as well, mm-hmm. but. Um, each each individual case is different, so that's why you'll need to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and obviously, with the intercompany transfer, you know, one of the other challenges, unlike I guess some of the other options that we've explained for for work permits, um, the business that you're leaving must continue to operate. So it's not like you can close shop and buy a business and and then and move over through intercompany transfer. The operation that you're being transferred from continues to must continue to exist and operate, and you have to have the ability to transfer back one day if that's the case. So, and you've yeah. also mentioned, I know in the past, Jeffrey, even the significant benefit work permit are C10s that potentially can be used to uh, to get people here. But uh, but yeah, like you've identified, all of these are, are pathways, work, and then transition to PR. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that that's. Uh, uh, that's the Canadian business experience strategy uh, in a nutshell. And uh, by way of comparison, uh, firstly, I'd say the CBES is really for people who want to come to Canada as soon as possible and really want to establish a business here. So you're looking for businesses, establish or purchase a business here. And so you're looking for um, people who are going to hopefully engage in profitable business uh, businesses. So I've done a, num- a comparison between the CBES and PNP. Time to get a work permit and bring your family to Canada. The CBES, you're looking at one to three months, excluding your research. Under the PCP, under a PNP program. You're looking at about six to nine months. 
in terms of minimum investment, there's CBS, there's no minimum investment. Uh, P&Ps have minimum investments of between 100 and 600,000, but it's usually 200,000. For minimum net worth, there's no minimum net worth under CBES, but uh, P&Ps normally have uh, net worth requirements of 300,000 to 900,000. It's usually about 600,000. Experience, you don't need to have any specific experience under the CBES, although for the immigration part, you will need to have skilled work experience. But for most P&P programs, you need two to four years of business or management experience. English or French. There's no minimum English language required at the work permit stage, but later on when you apply under express entry, you'll need to get at least uh, language benchmark seven out of 12 for your English. Under PNPs, uh, the CLB, the Canadian language benchmark, seems to be only four in most places. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, all sorts of different, uh, different things which make the CBS strategy a great strategy for people to be able to come here and established businesses. Um, and, but in order for them to get permanent residence, we really need to look at their background. We have some clients who use this strategy uh, to come over here, establish a business, and uh, uh, operate their business. And then while they're here, They'll do things, in some cases, they might take uh, take a course uh, in Canada and get a diploma or certificate, uh, or they might uh, improve their English. I had one client of mine from uh, Indonesia. He came over here, bought over a, a coffee franchise, uh, ran the coffee franchise. His points weren't going to be enough, but he said, no, I just need to get out of Indonesia. Fine. So we, so we got the uh, work permits for him and his family, came over, ran the business, uh, and by the second year, he had grown enough, grown the business enough, such that we were able to get a senior management LMIA for him. And uh, Mark will know what this means, but mm -hmm. a senior management LF, LMIA can get you 200, 200. points. Yeah. instead of 50 points for your arranged employment. And with that, and in improved English, uh, we were able to bring him over and get with faith. So again, different kinds of strategies. For yeah, and I'll just reiterate again uh, for the listeners, you know, the Canadian business experience strategy that, uh, that Jeffrey has coined here and the strategy of coming, working, then transitioning to PR. It's really as varied as, as your client is. And you have to take a look at what might work for that individual in the short term. But most importantly, you need to have an, a very, very clear vision of how that end transition is going to take place. Now, in the example of Jeffrey's uh, coffee shop owner, he was prepared. He knew the risks. He knew that maybe there would be a pathway. Maybe there wasn't uh, going to be one available. But the last thing in the world you want to do is have your, your client you know, jump full bore into this 
and not know for certain, at least initially when you start the process, that there is a pathway to permanent residence. And you really have to be careful how you set these up because if immigration determines that they are self-employed, then you won't be able to claim <clears throat> a lot of the um, you know the Canadian work experience points that are so vital and essential to express entry. And also provinces like Alberta, where we have a very, very broad uh, Alberta experience class where individuals who are working even in lower skill positions have opportunities to transition if they're on, you know, named employer work permits or labor market impact assessed work permits. They have really good pathways, but if you're deemed self-employed, you're ineligible. So, <clears throat> so that's something to always be aware of as you're going through this program, which is this strategy, which is really, really effective, really good. But you need to be cautious at all levels to make sure you're setting it up properly such that they are considered to be an employee. <clears throat> well, what are the one of the things about this part? A good point you brought up. Uh, once somebody is over here, they have a number of different options. So, for example, uh, one of the things we've done is we've brought people over with uh, owner operator or other work permits to work in that business. But the spouse or common law partner was able to get an open work permit. If the spouse got a job offer from another Canadian employer, uh, the in some cases, the, the that Canadian employer could apply for the spouse to immigrate as a provincial nominee. Uh, so there's a number of different different things that can be done. Yeah, that's great insight. And, yeah, and this another thing though on the business. For so many years, I mean, I've been practicing for 30-odd years, like I say, since I was five years old. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in the old days, uh, immigrants or would-be immigrants would be offered businesses that no Canadian in a great mind would buy. Mm. And so... And so, so many times I would meet with clients and they would say, well, Mr. Lowe, uh, I'm prepared to lose 100000 or 200000 because everybody loses money in Canada. And, and I said, well, that's not true. Uh, and what we try to do is we try to help people uh, find opportunities where they can have a decent chance of uh, either earning uh, earning income, or if for some reason their immigration plan doesn't work out, at least they can sell it without losing everything. Huh. Jeffrey, that's hilarious. So, so, and obviously you're w way more integrated in this type of stuff than I am, but you're saying that people are peddling and whether it's, you know, whether it's your Chinese, Taiwanese, you know, Korean investors, whoever they are, um, entrepreneurs, <clears throat> they're being peddled this idea that, look, no one's making money in Canada on businesses, so you just buy them knowing that your loss is going to be the cost of obtaining permanent residence and you just accept it and 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 just, that, that's the, that's what they're peddling? Unfortunately, yes. And, you know, Unbelievable. And this is because of the investor immigrant program that we talked about in the beginning. Because uh, people were used to uh, 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 paying money essentially yeah. Yeah. through the investor immigrant program, anywhere from one hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand 
uh, instead of tying up their money. And, and the, those were sunk costs. Those were, those were dead losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think there needs to be a paradigm shift uh, because amongst immigrants as well as uh, immigration lawyers and consultants uh, to be able to say, hey, there are opportunities out here. If I had a whiteboard in front of me, Mark, uh, I would I would be able to spell out opportunities nowhere, and you can read it. You can imagine in your mind what this looks like. You can look at it as opportunities nowhere. There's no opportunities, or you can look at it as opportunities now here. <laughs> I actually have Jeffrey. I actually have a, a big whiteboard in my home office, right to my right, which is my brainstorming idea board, and I can envision it right there, right now. <laughs> so opportunities now here. Okay, yeah, it's a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift, and you know, in the midst of this whole coronavirus, now uh, I happen to be Chinese Canadian. A lot of people don't know that because I. If they're hearing me on the phone, I don't uh, on the phone or podcast. I don't necessarily have a Chinese accent. However, I am Chinese Canadian, and the Chinese word for crisis, Chinese very first crisis, is weiji, which is half of weixin, which means danger, and half of jihui, which means opportunity. Hmm. And we are in the middle of a crisis with coronavirus. There's there's a lot of danger out there, but there's a lot of opportunity out there. And in this time, for example, even in Canada, when it comes to Canada immigration, I don't know if you noticed this, but I've noticed that the scores, minimum scores required to uh, qualify under things like express entry have been going down in the last uh, couple of weeks or months. Yes, they have. And even in the provincial nominee programs, those scores have been going down. So, uh, in fact, now is not a bad time to plan for immigration because these are the opportunity mixed with danger. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's interesting just to give the listeners a little bit of background because some may be listening to this years after we record it. You know, there's a lot of factors that are involved right now, and with express entry, they're just not doing federal skilled worker draws. They're they're focusing them on PNPs and the Canadian Experience class, and to a large extent, with our uh, isolation requirements and uh, you know IELTS and um, and the educational credential assessment agencies, people just can't get their language tests. So there's no new applicants coming in, and I think to some extent, although I don't know, every week or now it's biweekly, I tend. Um, weekly conference calls with the heads of immigration as a part of uh, being a part of the national executive of the Canadian Bar Association. And and um, they haven't really alluded to all of the reasons, but clearly um, because people outside of Canada, one, the travel restrictions, they can't travel anyways, and two, the the, the inability to, to have new candidates coming in uh, because you just can't get the English test written. So now they're starting to draw. And people in Canada, <laughs> Jeffrey, who who thought their their chances and hope of getting through express entry were long gone because the scores have just continued to skyrocket. Now, you know, we just had a, a scoop out of the pool down to 455. And if they continue to do CECs, 
you know, the lowest draw we've ever had is 413. And it is entirely possible that it could even drop down that low if they continue to do CEC only. So, you know, for this little microcosm, if you're in Canada and you're listening to this, you know, now is is the time where potentially you can you can benefit from it. You know, long term, I guess we'll ultimately see what they're going to do with this, you know, given all of the hundreds of thousands of international students we have right now and, and how they're going to make room for them. Maybe this will be a long-term strategy, a more, you know, Canadian-centric PR program. But, you know, uh, but clearly, without a doubt, everything you're talking about, Jeffrey, all of these programs, there's going to be greater advantages for people who can actually get here, get experience, get working here, uh, than people who are trying to just immigrate uh, without a connection to Canada. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really important. Okay. What I'd like to do now, now we've given the overview for the CBES and the Privileged Nominee Program. I want to do uh, two more things. What I'd like to do is have a closer look at the Entrepreneur PNP programs in my two favorite provinces. Uh, and secondly, <clears throat> um, a if we have time, then we'll do uh, one or two case studies so people can see how everything comes together. That sounds like a, gl- a great plan. And then for our listeners, you'll see this is part one of part two. And in the the, the second part um, of this business immigration-focused uh, episodes, these ones that I'm doing here with Jeffrey, we're going to talk more on business landscape in Canada, some of the challenges immigrants uh, face. We're going to talk about just the need for immigrants to have market knowledge and and an understanding of the culture and HR practices and all of these things that are just more, you know, the tools you need to be successful when you get here. And um, and just, you know, this whole concept of how, you know, the strategies for identifying the right businesses. And so that's what we're going to transition into with our next episode. But yeah, let's, let's touch on these two uh, favorite programs of Jeffrey's, which I have no experience with at this stage, but the BCPNP and the, the Ontario program. Yeah, let's dive into those now. Sure. As I mentioned, um, <clears throat> 86% of all the population of Canada live in Ontario, Quebec, British Columbia and Alberta, <clears throat> but Alberta, Quebec, is um, it's got its own immigration system, and a lot of, but a lot of French people, French-speaking people like to go to Quebec. In Alberta, hopefully they will have <clears throat> a business PNP program sometime soon, but that's just these BC and Ontario. Ontario has got a population of about 14.7 million, whereas BC has a population of 5.1 million, the third uh, third uh, larger population after Ontario and Quebec. So, the BCPNP program is one of the most established entrepreneur PNP programs. They've been doing it for years, and the uh, the PNP officers and management. They're very good to deal with, uh, and uh, and reasonable to deal with. I don't always get what I want, but on the other hand, uh, uh, they're there to uh, be. Oh, they're there to try to foster economic benefit to British Columbia, which is something we want to do as well. So they work. They work quite well with us. Now. There's two programs that the BCPNP have. 
One is the base program, which can be anywhere in British Columbia. And secondly is the regional pilot, which is only in 66 specified communities, um, which could be have populations of less than 1,000. The maximum has uh, about 75,000 people. <clears throat> so for the base program, this could be for an investment into Greater Vancouver or Victoria, Nanaimo, any of the large cities here. You need to have a personal net worth of 600000 Canadian dollars. You need to make a minimum investment of 200000 You need to create at least one job. You can buy a business or you can start a new one. You need to have CLB4 in, in your English test uh, after when you're ready to apply for nomination, which is about two years from now. So basically with that program, then they don't necessarily have to have the English skills up front. They can acquire them in the two years that they're, they're actually in Canada. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. So, <clears throat> so they've got two years and they can interact with Canadians and, and increase their English. And CLB4 is pretty basic. Yeah, it's not a super uh, high, bear, high bar there to reach. Yeah, the maximum is 12. Uh, seven is actually considered basic immigration English for, uh, for express entry. You need a minimum of seven. So you only need TLB4, and it's only after about two years. Hmm. The one, uh, one unique uh, condition that BC and Ontario have, though, is you need to spend 75% of your time in BC. So, in other words, you can't be flying if you have businesses in uh, in India or in Dubai or in uh, or in the U.S. Uh, or in China. You can't really say I'm going to be uh, spending half my time overseas and half my time in BC. No, you do need to spend three quarters of your time here. Well, as we can see, that is not a significant barrier, given the fact of our, our virtual world now, and especially with being forced to to operate, um, you know, from remote locations. You know, I can't imagine that would be too big of a barrier if, if these individuals still wanted to maintain, you know, their flourishing businesses overseas. It probably wouldn't be the end of the world for them to be able to stay 75% and then just go back for urgent, really important, you know, directors meetings, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's the base program. <clears throat> um, uh, now, these are minimum, and you don't need to, uh, 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 with these minimums, you're in a pool and you're assessed by, you're assessed against other candidates. <clears throat> and so the more you invest, the more likely you will uh, be able to uh, get selected, the more people you hire, the more uh, uh, different factors. Uh, but the barriers aren't that high, actually. So, Jeffrey, you, you mentioned, I can't remember if it was us talking before we started the podcast, um, this recording, but you know the numbers are fairly small in each of these provinces right now, but 
never, at least most of the provinces, haven't used up all of the spots that they traditionally allocated. So when individuals are submitting these applications, how competitive is the process? You know, do you have any idea when you're when you're meeting these minimum requirements, the then added level of you know ranking, if you will, amongst the individuals that are applying? You know that assessment process. Are there you know are there any kind of numbers in terms of how many are declined? Um, they're not declined. They just go into a pool, um, and you uh, you can stay in the pool for six months if you're not. Uh, selected during that time, you can just reapply. Mm, okay. But perhaps, uh, perhaps I can give this example. I have a client from uh, Pakistan who doesn't speak English very well, has a high school education, but he's been in uh, he's been in the retail business <clears throat> in Pakistan for twenty years. And he is looking at uh, establishing uh, a, a grocery store and investing about $600,000. Uh, we managed to get him selected. <clears throat> so no English, no education, uh, no English, no education, but relevant experience. Mm-hmm. He knew what it, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And so that's what that's the kind of people that uh, the BC government is looking for. You uh, you can I, I guess you can have great education, but not really know how to do business. Uh, so so uh, uh, yeah, they're looking for investment ready people who would be able to to contribute here. So let's turn to the regional pilot, uh, and this is interesting because the the thresholds are a lot lower. You don't need a six hundred thousand net worth. You need three hundred thousand net worth. You don't need to invest two hundred thousand. You only need to invest one hundred thousand. You you can create one job. You can't buy over a business. You need to start a new business. You need to spend 75% of your time in BC. You need the CLB4 on the English side at the beginning rather than at the end, end of two years. So you're looking at people who are uh, English, quite good English. Hmm. Now, the key with this is there's only 66 communities which are eligible, and they're all over British Columbia. Uh, if you want to apply under this program, you need to uh, submit a proposal to the community in one of their three priority sectors. Because each community has got three priority sectors. It could be tourism, could be uh, construction, could be uh, trading, could be manufacturing or retail or whatever. Each of these 66 communities has got three priority sectors. And then you need to contact the community, put your proposal to the community. Then you need to go visit the community, meet with the the P&P designated uh, representative there uh, for the community. 
and get their support. After you get the support, then you can apply to the BCPMP program. Uh, and uh, then you just go through the regular process. You go to a pool if you get selected, then come for the interview, and then you would uh, get to your work permit, come here, uh, and then uh, get settled in, and then apply for permanent residence after you get the nomination. Hmm. Now, when this first came out, a lot of people <clears throat> came uh, were focused on the $100,000 minimum investment. I was told by one of the PNPC officers, he said, Jeffrey, when this came out, uh, they were, there were immigration consultants in India running seminars and charging $1,000 uh, to attend the seminar on how to how to go into this program it was crazy. Oh my goodness! My housekeeper uh, is from Hong Kong. She she said to me, "Oh, uh, uh, Mr. Lowe," he said, "I hundred thousand dollars is so cheap. I know lots of nannies in Hong Kong who would love to uh, immigrate under the PP program." I said, "Okay, no, no, Ivy, it doesn't work like that." Yeah. Um, there's a lot more that you need to do. But sometimes people focus on things like $100,000 investment, and they think that uh, that's all you need. The 100000 is a minimum. Number two, you need to get accepted by the community. Number three, you really need to live there for a couple of years. Yeah. So it's not quite so easy. But anyways, that's the BC Regional Pilot. It works for some people. I've got some clients who love the outdoors, and they're perfectly happy being out uh, in, uh, doing hunting and fishing and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that works really well for some people. What kind of businesses, Jeffrey? Uh, let's see. I was just looking at the list the other day, but it really runs the, uh, runs the gamut. Uh, could be retail, uh, home construction, house construction, I thought was interesting hmm. uh, because some of the communities are really short of, uh, uh, really short of um, uh, housing. Uh, let me just see. Uh, uh, let's see. We've got miscellaneous store retailers. Nursing and residential care facilities, publishing industry, industries, which is interesting. Professional, scientific, and technical services. I had an inquiry from uh, another lawyer saying his client was a landscaper and could they do this? And they said, yeah, that would appear to work. Mm -hmm. Software publishers, truck transportation, wood product manufacturing. So if somebody could make Tables and chairs or uh, all sorts of things could be interesting. Food services and drinking places. Now, these I'm just reading off the list yeah. of some of the priority sectors, <clears throat> um, but each community only has three. So, but this one is a is the uh, it's a great program for the for the right community. Uh, I do a lot of work with the Sunshine Coast uh, in, uh, in uh, just it's, 
about a 45-minute ferry ride from Vancouver. And <clears throat> and they are quite excited. We've, we've sent a number of immigrants to establish businesses there, and they have uh, done quite well there. Hmm. Neat. So that's the BC Regional Pilot. Excellent. Well, let's shift over now to the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program and <clears throat> and the options that they have, which you are now... Uh, extolling the virtues of, at least you have to me. Yes. Well, the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program, this is interesting, it used to be very difficult to work with. They had a minimum investment of a million dollars, vague requirements, it was difficult to get hold of the different officers in charge, and and um, uh, yeah, it just wasn't really that popular. And Mark, you may, you may know that earlier this month, I sent an email out to the uh, our Canadian Bar Association's immigration listserv. I guess there's about 700 lawyers or something. Yeah, yeah, probably on that listserv. Yeah, seven, 800. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the list. And I asked if anybody had ever done an Ontario PNP entrepreneur program. I had three responses. They all said they'd never done it, <laughs> and it was bad experiences, and they would never use it. Interesting. <laughs> so that was that was bad. <laughs> However, I looked through the regulations and I looked through looked at the website, and I found in July 2019. Oh, and I had a couple of businesses which I wanted to put in Ontario as well, and uh, I found it bad as well. In July 2019, the Ontario Immigrant Nominee Program changed their program completely. The investment was reduced from $1 million to $600,000 and $200,000 if it's outside of the greater Toronto area. And also, um, if you were involved in the tech industry, you, again, were subject to a $200,000 limit. Minimum investment rather than the six hundred, and so all of a sudden this program has become quite competitive. So I had a conference call uh, last week with the uh, program manager for the the uh, uh, Ontario Immigrant uh, Entrepreneur Program and two of their senior managers, and I was very impressed by their open for business attitude and perhaps it turned out that two of these were two of them were hired after the changes in July 2019 so perhaps looking at this with fresh eyes yeah different culture now and with Ontario having a market of 14.7 million and I think I, I, I don't know what population in, in Toronto is probably about 5 million so this could be very attractive for people to, uh, to start up certain kinds of businesses. So let's look at the two programs. One is investment in the greater Toronto area. You need a personal net worth of 800000 which is down from, I think it was $2 million or something before. You need a 600000 minimum investment. You need to create two jobs. You need to spend 
three quarters of your time in Ontario, just like BC, and you need uh, CLB4 in your English when you apply for your nomination, which again is F2 years. So not uh, that's not too bad. Um, but if you're investing in the tech sector, could be in Toronto or it could be outside or anywhere outside the GTA, you only need a 400,000 personal net worth, a 200,000 minimum investment, and you only need to create one job, and you would then um, need to spend three quarters of your time in Ontario, and again, you need TLB4 when you apply for the nomination. So all of a sudden, uh, the uh, Ontario's immigrant nominee program is pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah, that's very attainable. And so, and so, uh, those are those are my two favorite programs because you're you've got uh, sufficient market size to deal with. I mean, that's not to say other PNP programs aren't good. So, for example, uh, if I was uh, if I was into seafood. And I love lobster. Hmm. Um, there's the new Nova Scotia or New Brunswick immigrant nominee program. It would be great. You invest 150000 in Nova Scotia, for example, create one job. And I'd love to set up a lobster business to process or can or export lobster uh, to, to uh, the world. But anyways, uh, not everybody not everybody's into lobster. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, that's so, that makes a lot of sense. But you know, for for different provinces, uh, you know, looking across the, the broad range of all the provinces, uh, I think BC and Ontario are the most attractive uh, places, um, unless somebody's got some sort of niche that they're really interested in. Uh, and so that is that. So that's the overview of the entrepreneur uh, P&P programs for BC and Ontario and the CBES, which works across Canada uh, in the broad strokes overview of, of the whole system. Um, uh, I don't know if we have time to do any case studies uh, or we, sh- we should leave that for another podcast. I think so. I think, so. think, I think we can we can pull those case studies in and, and just see how how it works out because it's one thing to see the requirements. Anyone can read a website. And so we've gone through and and, uh, and Jeffrey, you've done a really good job at kind of hitting the high points, hitting the programs that are probably going to be the most attractive to our clients and those investors who are watching this uh, this or listening to this podcast. And so stay tuned in our next episode. We will dive into uh, some case studies and just talk about uh, the different ways to invest, you know, in Canada. Like uh, obviously, the, Jeffrey's talked um, about the general program requirements, but there's a number of different ways to, different vehicles to accomplish the same goal. And, uh, and then just talking a little bit more about an individual's background and, and just some of the, the objectives that people should be focusing on when they're considering uh, investing, you know, becoming um, a permanent resident through one of the business immigration streams that are available. 
So uh, stay tuned for the next episode. And Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the time and effort that you took to to provide uh, such a, a great kind of 10,000-foot level of the programs. Happy to be here, Mark. Now, if they want to reach out to you in the interim and they say, I can't wait to get to this next episode, I need to talk to the man right now, <laughs> what is the best way for people to, to reach you, Jeffrey? Sure. Um, they can contact me. Uh, you can contact my office, info, I-N-F-O, at canadavisalaw.com. That's Canada, V-I-S-A-L-A-W.com. And to send me an email, brief description of the situation. And, and uh, what we normally do is we will uh, review someone's background and then suggest a, co- a consultation up to an hour when we can review somebody's background and then go through the roster with them. I mean, there is a charge for the consultation, mm-hmm. but hopefully this will be quite helpful for them in doing their doing their planning. Absolutely. And I'll just jump in there. And if, if you've got someone, you yourself are looking to immigrate to Canada, by all means, don't choose the options that give you a free consultation because trust me, you'll get your money's worth. Instead, Obviously, you've had a chance to listen to Jeffrey, and I'd highly encourage you consider um, giving him, well, sending him an email and, and initiating that process. I know when people call me and they say, hey, I'm looking at immigrating um, and I don't really qualify necessarily through uh, Express Entry directly, I'm looking at investing, I'm looking at buying a business, I send them to Jeffrey. All right. Thanks so much, Jeffrey, for joining. Okay. Thanks okay. so much, Mark. Yeah. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that was a lengthy episode, but worth every ounce of your time. Jeffrey did a fantastic job pulling the curtain back on these various programs. And it's easy to see why the BCPNP and the Ontario uh, Immigrant Nominee Program have the most attractive programs for our business immigration um, clients. And it's also interesting to see how Jeffrey, see, you know, basically is creatively using some of the work permit categories to then transition to permanent residence through his Canadian business experience strategy. So big shout out to Jeffrey. We ended this episode uh, as being part one of a two-part series. And I've recorded the second part as well. And I'll be releasing that very shortly after this one. But I just wanted everybody to realize that... Uh, Wow, although these are long, these episodes are totally worth sitting through. And if you're looking for an education on business immigration, Jeffrey's tips and strategies, as you guys have seen here, are so, so helpful because he really sifts the wheat from the chaff when it comes to business immigration. So stay tuned in our second or part two of this series Jeffrey's going to go into a little bit more about the actual analysis process for our clients, the things that we're looking at when we're trying to assess their background and then determine which investment vehicle might work best for them. It's one thing to know the various programs and the requirements. It's another to understand which business vehicle is going to work. Do you buy business? Do you, do, you know, do you purchase shares of the business? Do you start a franchise or do you start a business from scratch? And Jeffrey talks about all of these in part two. So make sure you come back and tune in on that. All right, guys, this ends this, <clears throat> like I said, longer than normal episode. I want to thank you all for listening. All of your support means so much to me. 
go on over to iTunes. And actually, this sucker's broadcast all over. I can't even remember how many places I'm I'm pushing it out to now. So wherever you hear this, uh, make sure that you, you give me a shout out, leave a review. Those reviews help it to reach more people. And obviously, when we have content like this, the stuff that Jeffrey just brought, totally worth promoting. So thanks so much for tuning in. I want to wish you guys all the best as you navigate this crazy world that we call Canadian immigration. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. This place I your